Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. And today is Monday, August the 2nd. Oh my goodness, it is already August. And this next hour, in this new month, we are studying the inspired and true word of God. And we go back to the Psalms, Psalm, and we'll pray, Psalm 146. We concluded our study of Nehemiah on Friday, which was a great blessing, great guest, powerful um, messages of grace and forgiveness and pointing us to Christ. We had it with Dr. Reed Lessing, and we're able to look at the steadfast love of the Lord. And I love how he put it, because I think that really brings us forward into the Psalms where he said, steadfast love is the kind of love where one probably should not enter the relationship and the kind of love that they shouldn't stay, but yet they still do. And showing us how God enters and gives himself to us. And even though we might not always be the most faithful, he sticks with us with a steadfast love. And that relationship is the reason why we can come to him in prayer. How we see the cross and we know that we can come to him as we have today. Alleluia's The prayer and praise and knowing of our steadfast love of our Lord on account of Christ. So today we pray and we give thanks for that. And the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is generously generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back with us uh, Reverend Dr. Phil Boo, who serves St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Pastor Boo, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Fenner, and I'm excited to be back and looking forward to going through Psalm 146 with you today. Awesome. Awesome. So tell me this, what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at St. John? Well, I tell you, my family and I just returned from a refreshing trip back home. We went back to western North Carolina, where we're from, um, and we're currently out here in Minnesota, as you know, uh, right, hey, on the, right <laughs> on the border of, uh, of South Dakota. And um, so we went home, though, and got refreshed. But you know, there's a there's an old saying that you can't you can't step in the same river twice. Mm. This i this idea that you know you can't really go home again because things are changed and different. When we went home, you know, some of the we're trying to take our kids around to see all the different places that were were there when we were growing up, and you know the the shops are different, the the restaurants are different, the different people live in our childhood homes. Our school was different than it was when we were there, and so it just reminds us of the, uh, you know, the uncertainty in this world. Things don't always last forever, except, of course, the steadfast love of the Lord. And so that's what I came back with the desire to bring to the people here at St. John in Laverne. You know, just this idea that in a time of tr- trouble and turmoil and, and uncertainty that, you know what, the Lord's love for us is steadfast through Jesus. And and the Psalm today, the Psalm today really speaks to our contemporary situation, what's been going on. And we need to remember who it is we put our faith, hope, and trust in. But no, things have been great here. I'm relatively new here at St. John. I've only been here about seven or eight months at this point, and just wonderful people and a wonderful part of the country to be able to, you know, serve, serve the Lord by serving others. 
Well, Pastor, I appreciate that. And, you know, as I, as I gave a little remark there, it's, I always try to have these, I had this thought I should have the, um, the Kevin Bacon game and the connections to Minnesota. And uh, so it's always, you know, six degrees. Well, you're a first degree. You're, you're in the midst of us, even though you're kind of in that part of the state where you're not sure if you're part South Dakotan or you're South so part Iwegian. I mean, you're right on the border of that area. So for us Northerners, we're a little suspect. If you're really a Minnesotan, what do you think of that? Well, I I think that they would agree that with that here, you know, especially <laughs> during all the, the pandemic lockdowns and everything, right here being on the corner of what they've been calling a free state, South Dakota, and go. not too far from Iowa. Um, you know, just the, the environment's the environment's a little different out here. We're, we probably have more in common with Sioux Falls than we do Minneapolis. That's probably true. That's probably true. So, Pastor, as we are here to study the scriptures and pray the scriptures today, can you begin our time in prayer? Sure, let's do that. Dearest, most holy and heavenly Father, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them what they need at the proper time. Lord, what we need in this world, as you know better than we do, is a sense of stability that can only be found in your unchanging and merciful love to us through Jesus. As we study this psalm, Lord, just enliven our hearts, strengthen our faith, and point us to Christ, who secures for us the reality that we can trust in him and trust in you above all things. In the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do. What, what we have done is when we have finished a book, so for, for example, last week we finished Nehemiah, chapter, Nehemiah, so we finished that book, and now we're transitioning where we'll end up studying Hebrews next week, which would be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. And what we try to do is kind of have a little bit of time there for us to be able to pray, which is always good for us. And that's why we go to the Psalms. And what I've done is, if you're anything like me, Pastor, it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray the Psalms. So you start with one, and you're going strong. Maybe you get to 23. If you're really good, you get to 46. A mighty fortress is our God. And then something just kind of wavers. And then if you get to 119, Lord have mercy, you never finish it. And um, that's something where I never quite get to 150. So uh, my goal was 1, 150, 2, 149, 3, 148. So that's kind of where, why we're at 146 and we won't go, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. But to really get into these Psalms has been an opportunity, one, to pray and to kind of let everything sink in, if you will. And secondly, I love these Psalms because we are able to um, say, hallelujah. So what I want to do is to start today is I want to pray the Psalm 146. Then I want to go back and for you to talk about the few questions I have for you in general about the Psalms, and then we'll come back and go through the Psalms a little bit at a time, especially with introductory thoughts. So uh, so you ready for that, Pastor? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So let's pray one Psalm 146. Um, and reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading and studying and praying from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God 
who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Now today as we hear these words, it is very clear that he is focusing our, his attention um, to praising the Lord. And that's part of what we have when we have the Psalms. So pastor, talk about the Psalms, all the Psalms, why they're important for us in our life. Well, the Psalms is a magnificent wisdom book in the Bible. I mean, it's really unmatched in any other type of literature. You know, we know it as the prayer book of the Bible, and for a good reason. You know, the Psalms have been used by the faithful for centuries to give divine words for us to use when we don't always know how to express our feelings and our emotions. They give us a, a guide. It's the Holy Spirit really you, speaking for us when we need that. At the same time, the Psalms are this wonderful historical record. They, they give us a window into the worship life of pre-Christian believers. And what I really like about them is that they point to the variety of human experience. And what I mean by that is, is the Psalms are filled with not just, you know, all praise, but praise and laments and emotions like anger and fear and anxiety and it, wisdom and, and warning and, you know, penitential Psalms. So they show us that believers across time and space are, are three-dimensional real people and that our God recognizes that our lives are lived out not in a giant church service where everything's always perfect, but we have highs and lows and ups and downs, and, and we see that in the Psalms, and they give us this, this ready access to, to uh, be able to, to, to express ourselves through God's Word. Now, as we, as we look at this, it is highly communal, so we, we'll, we'll pray the Psalms, we'll sing the Psalms in worship. Um, it's something that we will use maybe in our homes, uh, singing and reading and prayer, and but it's also very personal. It's something that we will utilize as pastors, as Christians. Um, Martin Luther talks about how basically all the Psalms um, show everything that there is in the Scriptures because it gives us Christ. I mean, I love I love his explanation of the Psalms in that way. For you personally, how have you been able to utilize the Psalms in your prayer and devotional life? Well, you know, I want to go back to that idea that I just said about how they provide us words when we don't have any. Now, yes, of course, like Luther, I see Christ in the Psalms, and I see all the the the, the struggles that David faced and the wisdom of Solomon. But, but you know, the way they've impacted me personally is 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 when I felt just too discouraged to muster up a, a proper prayer, I would open the Psalms and sometimes randomly just open it up to anything. And, and then through them, not only be able to speak to God, maybe even to get a conversation going, but through the psalm, I would get to hear God speaking back to me from the page. And so in that way, you know, you kind of don't just read the psalms, but you you experience them. They do something to you. And when we had Dr. Seleska, he restarted this whole this whole psalm um, world, I guess you would call it, as we've been studying this. And that's one of the things that he really highlighted was 
we, we have to dig deep into the theology. We got to dig deep into the history, but we also have to realize how this hits you because it encompasses all these different realities of our Christian walk, the, the laments, the praise, the trust, the imprecatory Psalms, the, yeah. um, all these Psalms. And he really made me think about a theme that really we have in, in thy strong word, which is we need to slow down. We need to look at the scriptures again, not think we have to finish it within a year all the time, but to slow down and, and look at it and also to realize how it hits us because there's going to be times we need to lament and we're not going to have those words because we don't know how to say them. But this is where Psalm 6 and, and other Psalms come in to give us words that when we're in pain, we're able to say it and also to realize that how it hit them and David many times also hits us. And to know that this is not a reality of our faith not being there, but a reality of being a human being and knowing our Lord is with us. So any thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. I mean, I've had parishioners who've come to me, and admittedly I've experienced this personally too, but I've had parishioners come to me and they're they're upset because they find themselves, because of their circumstances or situation, they find themselves angry at God. And they're afraid that that emotion is somehow negating their faith as if to be angry at God is to not trust him. And I get to point them to the Psalms and say, look, here are instances where you know, the faithful are angry with God, and they're angry with him not because he's at fault, but because they recognize that he has the power to do something. And so sometimes even that, what we might assume, and, and sometimes it is, a negative emotion, but we see that is even being expressed in faith. And so for someone to be comforted that, you know, if they get mad and, and I have to remind them that, hey, God loves you and he's like your dad, you can be mad at your dad um, and him still loving you as long as you don't stay there, as long as you move toward that, that trust. But we can, we can walk with the, with the patriarchs of old and see that, yes, you know, they experience those same things that we do. Now, that's a great segue for what we have today, which is Psalm 146, because I think there is a reality for, for me at least. And when I have spoken to Christian people that, okay, I know that, I, I, that, that there's a general feel I should not be mad at God. Okay, I don't want to be mad at God. But then God gives us words to be able to express our laments. At the same time, and this is not even a rip on German background or Lutheran background, whatever, there are times where we might get excited and we don't know what to say. We don't really know what to do because we, you know, those emotions and feelings are something that we tend to hold back and, and we don't want to get too excited or whatever it might be. But here, I think this almost gives us words that when we do feel that joy, you know, the joy, 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 joy down in my heart or something, mm -hmm. um, here's some words for us to be able to say. So, Pastor, can you do this? Kind of give us a, an introductory or thematic of understanding of Psalm 146 as we, uh, let me do this first, as we do this. Huh? What do you think that's of that? Right. Hallelujah. That's how it starts. Okay, you know, cool. and that's and that's what's interesting is we talk about having these different feelings towards God, moving toward what? To praise and trust in God. And Psalm 146 is about praising and trusting in God. And so as you as you pointed out musically there, it <laughs> begins with Alleluia or Hallelujah. Um and so that's the 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 last five psalms of the Bible is called or known as a Hallel. You know, it's a, it's a group of psalms of praise. These psalms both begin and end with Hallelujah or Praise the Lord. 
So there is no no anger towards God or lament or anything. There they are only there's not even petitions. You don't even you aren't even asking God for things. It's only praise. Now they would have been used probably liturgically, the services of the second temple. Uh, they would have been used individually. Um, but but these these psalms of praise, another section by the way, is 113 through 118. But these psalms of praise are about um, expressing trust and confidence in in the Lord. And uh, it, it's interesting, you said earlier about how the Psalms are both corporate and also very individual. And that's what we see here in this Psalm. You know, it begins with a call to everybody, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then it becomes very personal, praise the Lord, oh my soul, etc., as we'll see in a minute. And so the, the Psalm itself is both a call for all believers to praise the Lord, but then it's uh, it's an example of a very personal way the psalmist is expressing his faith toward God, and it gives us something to emulate. Now, when it comes when it comes to the author, though, I mean, who is that? Mm. Well, this is one of those anonymous psalms. We don't know. Um, in the Septuagint, there's some you know there's some little notations that kind of hold it. It's a tradition that that holds that Haggai or Zechariah wrote it, and um, that may suggest that it at least dates back to the time of those prophets, whether or not it was written by them. Um, but regardless, it's uh, it's not really known who's wrote it. Um, now, the psalm begins, as I said before, with that call to praise the Lord, Alleluia, to praise Yahweh, the one true God in whom we can trust, and it ends the same way. But in between. In between, we get advice on who we can't put our trust in, and then we give get lots of reasons on why we can and and should trust in God. And as I look at that, it it reminds me because we just finished Nehemiah on on Thursday. We had uh, Reverend Doctor Michael Morehouse, and and he we in, in chapter twelve of Nehemiah, it very much so that they dedicated the wall around the temple. They, they gathered together. They had multiple choirs, which, you know, obviously not a, a prescriptive. You don't have to have two, three choirs in your church, but it's just this wonderful reality of, of song, which brings us to the Psalms as well, that we can join in this. And it says this, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And so I envision this, this obviously we don't, we don't know for sure, but you envision that some of these Psalms, these praise the Lord Psalms was being sung by God's people the wall is done. Um, the temple is completed. They're there. They're they're celebrating. Da, 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 da. Now, whether or not it was those, like you said, we don't know the time range exactly when this happened, but it just reminds us of how these psalms we can do with great joy. And then the psalm unveils, peels back, really, why we can praise the Lord. So, I, I part of scripture that we just don't see and maybe don't focus on. I don't focus on enough is the joy. Um, that was there for God's people when they saw God at work, and and they continually do that. And that's, I think, a good reminder for us. We can praise the Lord, and today's a good day to do so. So any last thoughts before we dig into the text? Nope. <laughs> that's problem solved. That's, Here that's, we go. Yes, let's move it. <laughs> Verses 1 and 2. We'll just we'll slowly go through this. Verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The, 
you know, this is a theme we've been looking at on all these uh, 146 through 100 and 150. And so what is the theme? I mean, it's very obvious once you hear these first two verses. Well, absolutely. So praise the Lord, as we've mentioned a couple of times, is Alleluia, Allel for praise, and then Yah on the end, talking about Yahweh. And then everywhere else you see the Lord in the text, it's actually Yahweh, the name of God. So it's calling on all people to praise the Lord through Alleluia, but then it directs very inwardly and personally, praise the Lord, O my soul. You know, the psalmist is writing these verses as if it's personal worship. He's inviting us to use these words ourselves. And, um, and how, how long will he praise? Well, you know, if God is faithful forever, as we're getting ready to see, we're going to praise the Lord as long as we live. And we're going to do that by singing praises. So this first section is is pretty self-explanatory. It, it sets it up that this is going to be this psalm of praise, this hallel. It's going to be positive. Um, and then it sort of turns negative here in a minute. But but yeah, right, right there, we're set up. This is the point of the psalm that we praise and trust in God. Now it says these words, um, hallelujah and alleluia. And this is something that's always been interesting to me. And I was trying to look this up and I'm intrigued to see if you've ever seen this. And I haven't thought about it in the first uh, first few uh, Psalms that we've studied. But, you know, we'll say this during Easter, you know, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. But here it's more of a hallelujah. And according to, of course, you read more and more, the more and more you realize there's, they don't really know. But um, it appears to me that when we are gathered for Easter season, when we gather knowing that Christ is risen, this is the same language that we're using. It's more of us saying, praise the Lord, he's risen, praise the Lord. Um, have you seen any distinctions on hallelujah versus alleluia? They basically say it's a it's a uh, variant of the same thing. But have you had any thoughts on that? Well, I've seen them as variants, but I, I haven't actually made any distinction between the two. Right. Um, except that I think <laughs> it seems like to me that the distinctions have always been what makes sense for the meter in the hymn that you're singing. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm but, sure that's not the sophisticated answer you're expecting, but that's that's kind of what I think of when I think of those differences. But now you you make me very curious if there's a specific difference. Um, looking at the actual text itself, though, um, I just wonder if it's. I mean, it definitely has you know, a hay at the beginning. So it seems like it would have the, that sound, but I just wonder if it's a pronunciation difference or if it's uh, if it has some grammatical differences. Well, that's a reminder to our listeners. If you um, want to research this, I might want to research it as well, but if you have any thoughts, you can send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. And as we dig in, because I've said this before, we just have um, some just some amazing theologians that listen in and send us information and send us thoughts and questions and everything else. So if you have any, any thoughts on that, if there's any difference, I'm going to go with, as kind of like Pastor Boo was saying, is that they're probably the same thing. And I guess I've never really thought specifically that when I stand up on Easter morning that I'm saying, praise the Lord, Christ is risen, alleluia, or praise the Lord, he is risen indeed. And uh that makes me want to even praise the Lord more as I think about Easter and that wonderful season of the church here. And he tells us that this is not something you just do on Easter morning. This is not just something that you do on Sundays, but it's as long as you have breath or have your being that you will do this. Why do you think that's an important distinction that the psalmist makes here? 
Well, what we're seeing here is this need for the Christian to understand, and it's going to be backed up later, but that as people, there's an end to our days. And so as people are searching for purposes in life, especially if you're suffering under tyrants or suffering under um, what we're going to see later about not putting your trust in princes, you're going to, you're going to want you're going to want to understand a purpose for your being. And what is that purpose? Well, the purpose for the believer is to worship God. And we worship God through both serving our neighbor, through our actual, you know, praise and prayers to him, but it's also about dedicating ourselves to the one who gave us life, to the creator. And so I think the emphasis here isn't to say that, well, you know, you won't be praising him in the afterlife. And and some people have tried to make that distinction here. Oh, you know, you only have time to praise God while you're alive because there is no afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Jewish mm-hmm. sects would would claim that. But for us, we say, no, the emphasis here on on the shortness of life or the, the fact that life will terminate is consistent with what happens next about the fact that princes, you know, aren't going to be around forever. One it just is brought to mind as you said that is we as Lutherans are very careful to not make it sound like because we are able to praise the Lord, like all praise be to God and all that I do does not negate the reality of us still being sinners. I spoke once to a wonderful Christian man from an African country and we were talking and going through some basic instruction and his distinction was that since he praised the Lord all the time, therefore he doesn't sin. And I think that is something that was quite fascinating as you were speaking about how our life is short. There is a reality we need to praise the Lord, but that does not negate reality. You know, so it's kind of like if you go to church and you're praising the Lord, it doesn't mean you still don't have brokenness in your home that needs restoration. Just because you're excited to be at worship doesn't mean you, can, you you don't put your sins at the feet of Jesus and still need forgiveness. And I think there's a, there's a point in American Christianity that we tried to make emotionalism, meaning there's not sin or there's less sin or we, we less need God. I'm not exactly sure how to say it. But as you were saying that, it's good for us to be able to make sure we're still in the reality of life, that praising the Lord does not mean everything is happy clappy. The praise of the Lord is once again looking to the Lord and saying, well, this is what he gives, and so therefore I can give thanks. Any thoughts on that? We have about a minute left before our break. Well, just to continue that idea of, you know, as long as I live, you know, based on what you're saying, it also makes sense to understand that it's not just that so long as you're alive, you should be doing it, but rather each and every day of your life, you should be doing it. Mm. You know, Psalm uh, 145 Two gives us this idea of uh, each and every day I will praise you. So the as long as I live has both context. You know, so long as you're alive, your your life does have an end to it, um, and your purpose here is to praise the Lord. But also, no matter what's going on, not just the good days, praise the Lord. So each and every day. So I think both contexts are appropriate. Absolutely. So right now, though, we need to take our break. We are praying and studying Psalm 146 with Pastor Phil Boo, and we will be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. 
the number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Psalm 146 and actually praying it as well. And that's one of the the joys of going through the Psalms is a reminder that, as Pastor Boo said so well, is that the Psalms give us words that we don't always have, that there are times where we are very um, deep in lament or pain or even anger, and he gives us words. And there's times when we're in great joy, he gives us words. So my encouragement to you as, as Christians is to spend some time, just if you don't know how to pray, here's an opportunity to take a psalm, maybe Psalm 146, or as we go throughout the rest of this week, one of the earlier psalms, uh, 1 through 5, or so forth, and to use those as your prayer, and to be able to get done with that and go, I just prayed. I mean, sometimes we don't know what to pray, but here is your opportunity to pray, especially knowing that it is God's word and knowing the Holy Spirit is leading you as he promises to do. Now, to this point, Pastor, it has really been a time where he just says, you got to praise the Lord. Then he transitions to kind of saying, there's some things that you shouldn't be praising or you shouldn't be trusting above the Lord. And so let's read those next two verses as he unveils a little bit of, okay, let's make sure we're focusing on the right things. Verses three and four. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So, Pastor, what are we not to trust in? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um it's this is a verse that has been quoted probably more in the past uh, let's say year and a half than <laughs> at any time in my uh lifetime and maybe i'm just paying attention more or maybe i'm just uh you know uh, commiserating with this more but what are we not to put our trust in well what's it say put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation well first off our our alarms go off because did the Bible just say not to put our trust in the Son of Man? Mm -hmm. uh, right. So we have that that messianic language sort of you know bagged up with the with the phrase Son of Man. In this context, it, it just means in a mere man, in a in a literal Son of Man, someone who's just come from a man and a woman, just a regular person. So put not your trust in princes, in a mere man or woman, in whom there is no salvation. So, like I said, this is just being quoted all over the place lately, and that's because we, we live in a society now where people are really frustrated with, with, the, with the princes of the world. Um, first, you know, this is the only negative part of this psalm. It, it, in fact, it's kind of surprising. One and two, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and then, oh yeah, but don't do this. And so, who are the princes? Who are, what does it mean when it's talking about princes? Well, the first and natural assumption is actual princes, rulers, and authorities. Even in our you know, representative form of government, we don't 
we don't like to think of elected public servants as our rulers, but the truth is we've given them and, and organizations that they, they work in authority over us. But the word here in the Hebrew means nobility, somebody of noble rank, someone who doesn't have to answer to anybody else. So I think in our more modern context, we could extend safely the definition of princes to not only those who are in authority, but many of the people that we let influence us. You know, news media, scientists, celebrities, space racing billionaires, even though those folks don't have like a specific authority over us, those are still people that are influential, noble, uh, at least in terms of the idea that they're set apart. People that, um, People are out there putting their faith, hope, and trust in these folks. And so I think it's it's a warning, not just, hey, be suspicious of your government. I think it's about if you're putting your faith, hope, and trust in something, know that when it comes to humans, mere men, in whom there is no salvation, they are also only here for a short time. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and any plans that he had are going away. So people are often tempted to put their faith, hope, and trust in, in leaders and influencers of this world. And this psalm calls us to, to check that, to make sure that our trust and our, and our worship, essentially, is focused in the right place. And this is a good reminder for all of us, because we've had moments in our lives. You said it's so easy for us just to say, oh, this is the evil government or something. And, you know, whatever, you know, all this bad stuff is it's. It goes down so far beyond that because you have times where you have a mentor that very much so is a major part of your life. Maybe it's in, in high school, maybe it's in college, or maybe like grad school. And, and those people somewhere along the lines disappoint you or else they're not there when you maybe need them or not even because they're not there for you. It's because they're physically not there or you lose a loved one or whatever it might be. And this is not to downplay um, those individuals of some sort, but to show, yes, these people, we to other people are only here for a short time. And so ultimately your trust is going to have to be in the Lord, not to not give thanks for those individuals, but to know that there's a shelf life to that. But the Lord, as it will, as we'll find out late, as we had just prayed, the Lord reigns forever. So it's it, trying to keep everything in perspective the best we can not negating the gifts that these people are, like you said, the government leaders and mentors and, and others that are in authority, but to be able to keep it in perspective, let's keep this in perspective that God still reigns on high. So that, those are some of my thoughts. So you have any, any other? Thoughts? I mean, yeah, I think just piggybacking on that, you know, this doesn't mean that we should never trust a human person. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think there's a sort of a difference between trusting in the princes of the world and putting your trust in the princes. And I'm, I'm probably, you know, being a little fast and loose with that. But but what I'm trying to express is, you know, it's like the difference between loving and being in love. You know, you, you, you can trust somebody so far as they are able to be trusted. And that is, like you said, it has a limit. They may have intentions that are bad, or they just may have him limitations that are common to all people. In contrast, the Lord is stalwart. The Lord is steadfast. The Lord is always true. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, get into that in a minute. But so, yeah, it doesn't mean to never trust a human person or never take the counsel of influential 
uh, people or, and especially doesn't mean to just always ignore the commands of those in authority. That's going too far. It's just don't put your trust in people above God. That's the warning. With God, we know that he's trustworthy. And with people, they will fail us. I've, I've heard it said that, you know, I, I don't, I try not to have any heroes that are still alive. All my heroes are dead people because they can't disappoint me in the future. You already know all there is to know about them. Um, of course, with the, the current climate of people digging up stuff in the past, that may not be true anymore either. But the reality is that human beings have their limitations and um, God, God doesn't. He's almighty. And in some senses, when we look at the whole of Scripture and you hear these words, it is a good reminder for us of the fruit of the Spirit to pray for patience, because he's telling us, do not trust in princes. The same token, be patient, because these people are not the ones that you're supposed to trust in above me. So why are you trusting in them so much? So when they disappoint, we have to be patient as we pray that people are patient with us. And this goes with us as fathers, as, as, as husbands, as pastors, as just community members, that there's a lot of times that people have trusted us and we failed them, which we pray that they're patient with us. And we hope, and, and in the same token, we should be patient with other people because, um, uh, you know, in the same token, that's kind of a, it's a kind of a call that I feel when I hear these words too, is that we have to be patient with one another, ultimately because of how patient our Lord is with us. So that's another unfolding that I'm experiencing right now as I hear these words. Other thoughts before we move on? No, I don't think so. Okay, let's keep moving well on. Verses 5 and uh, 6. We'll keep just slowly going through. 5 and 6. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Now, Pastor, I want to take one step back, and you said it more of your introduction, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. You mentioned that whenever the word LORD, capital L-O-R-D, uh, capital letters, that that is a word called Yahweh. So hope is in Yahweh, his God. What does Yahweh mean? Just to make sure we're all on the same page. Well, right. Yahweh comes from the, you know, the I am, I am that I am. It's the proper name of God. It, it, it designates the true God, creator of the universe, over and against the false gods of the world. And that's what we see here. We see, you know, uh, he's being defined, as he often is in the New Testament, as the one who created all things. That's a big deal. You know, when, when faced with the many false gods out in the world— you know, they really only needed to ask one question. Did this, did this so-called God create all things? And if not, then it's a false God. And the same goes today. You know, Luther says that whatever we put our faith, hope, and trust in is, is a God to us. And so how often do we put our trust in things and people, like you said earlier, who are not the true God, the true creator? And so that that's very helpful, and I've heard it said too. It's like a it's like a personal name for God uh, that reminds us once again that he's he's a real God um, in real time and a personal God for persons like you and I. And I thought, thought that was a good a good reminder as well that he's not far off, but he is definitely near. And that's just a, a small way that that gets revealed to us in Scripture. But Pastor, as we look at these two verses. Um, what are they telling us? Because it, it, it shows us not to trust in them, but then it says, blessed are those who do. So what does it tell us in these 
two verses five and six. Uh, right. So it says, blessed is he or the person whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh, his God. Um, so you already talked about the the personal nature, right, of, of Yahweh being his God. But I think it's interesting here that the God of Jacob, that phrase is used as opposed to the, I mean, it's not completely unheard of, of course, but it's just not used as often as, say, the God of Israel. And well, why is that? Well, the God of Israel would most likely bring to our mind the God of the whole nation, the nation of Israel that gets its name from Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But by saying the God of Jacob, I, it makes me wonder if we're referring to the idea that, that he's a God of each and every one of us, of the individual also. You know, blessed is the one whose help is in the is in the God of and insert your name there, you know, in your God, whose hopes in the Lord, um, and and then of course it brings us around to this idea that this God is not only your God but also the Creator of everything. And that juxtaposition of the fact that the the person, the the entity, whatever you want to call God, it's hard to use a pronoun for him or a description of him because he's God, he's holy, other, but. This universe creating, you know, being who's so far and above and beyond us, and yet he cares about the individual as well. He cares about justice and truth, as we'll also see. And so we look at this, it's almost telling, don't trust in princes. And here it talks about um, the benefits, it kind of starts unveiling the benefits that we receive from the Lord or that we see around us and say, wow, this is, this is what we receive, or this is what's real because we have God. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, sure. So, so at the very end of six, it says that he keeps faith forever. The Hebrew word trans, translated here, faith could also be rendered as truth. It, again, it's this sort of general sense of reliability. Boy, stability, how desirable is that in today's world? I mean, people are seeking truth. They're seeking real truth that doesn't change, and they're seeking stability. And when we hear every day that, you know, it's dangerous to do this or that, and can we even trust the people who are saying it's dangerous or, you know, whatever your position is in life, there's, am I going to be able to go back to work? Am I not? We're, we're, we're faced with so much uncertainty then where can we find that stability? Who keeps the truth forever? It's not in human authority, but rather it's steadfast truth found in God alone who stays for true, stays true forever. And so we, we, that's, what, that's what we see. And so it says that him keeping that faith forever then um, leads into the fact of verse 7 that he's the one who executes justice for the oppressed. I don't know if you want to read those and move on. Let's let's do it. I I do like how I, I read this as keeps faith forever is not so much about our faith, but it's about him keeping his promises. And I thought that was a really good way that I, I think you capture. And that leads us into seven through nine, looking at okay, this is how he keeps his promises. And and we ask for faith for us to be able to see this happening and also um, his calling for us as well. So seven through nine, we'll keep going since you're, you're ready to go. I love it. Yeah, let's do it. Seven through nine. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. 
The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So, okay, he keeps his promises. So how does he do that? How does he do that in the world? Well, this is, first and foremost, it's juxtaposed to not trusting in princes. And when you think about the more literal term of princes or, or even – or I guess even really the influencers and the, and the billionaires of the world, what kind of things are governments and these people promising, right? They're promising to stand up for or even usher in justice, social justice, welfare, take care of people. Who actually does that though? Who actually executes those things? Even if they keep their promises in those regards, they are ministers of the Lord. So from whom comes this justice for the oppressed and food for the hungry? And of course, it's God. We know that it's God who gives us our daily bread. But then, as you said, what about the other things? He gives us a whole list here. Each line that follows is just an example of how God executes justice for the oppressed. Now, remember, we talked about the Lord being Yahweh. And so starting with the last part of verse 7, the Lord or Yahweh is, is at the beginning of every single line for six lines. That emphasis is, of course, clear. Yes, you can't trust in princes, but who can you trust? Yahweh. Yahweh sets free. Yahweh heals. Yahweh lifts up. Yahweh loves. He watches over. Yahweh reigns. And so the focus is definitely on all the reasons why um, God can be trusted to usher in justice because he has, and these are the things that he loves doing for people. So we look at each one, right? Thinking about each example of this oppressed group, you know, who's, who's oppressed? Well, from this Psalm, it's those in bondage, the blind, the discouraged, sojourners, and widows and orphans. So beginning with the first one, setting prisoners free. Now, when we, when we think of prisoners, I think our minds naturally go to those who are in prison. And while people who are unjustly in prison certainly deserve to be freed, I think we can understand this more broadly to talk about those in all types of bondage. I mean, think about the Jews who are reading this early on. They would have thought about being enslaved in Egypt or exiled by the Babylonians or the Assyrians. So being prisoners doesn't just mean being in a jail. It means um, you know, being under the authority of people that uh, are treating you unjustly, being in bondage. And the New Testament Christians, of course, they may have thought about the persecutions they endured or the oppressive Roman regime. And, you know, we could include those who are slaves. So if this is, you know, somebody's position, if you're one of these oppressed groups and you're seeking freedom, where should you look? To human princes who promise the world but can't always deliver? Or to God who enjoys, who loves doing this, this liberating work for his people and has done so in history? Now, one of the hard things when I hear these words, because you hear this um, in, in the Psalms, other Psalms, and you also hear it in, about Jesus and, and uh, other parts of the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, that, that the Son of God has come to set the prisoners free, to open the eyes of the blind. This clearly points us back to Jesus and how he was on this earthly ministry that he had 
Now, how does that, well, first of all, it shows us Christ. So let me ask that. How, what are your thoughts on that, first of all, when it clearly points us, this is, I mean, it's obviously talking about Jesus as well. Right. Well, I mean, the connection here, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it sort of two ways. One, um, how the original hearers would have sort of thought about and understood right. these things, and then bridging that to, you know, how can we understand these today? The bridge between that is certainly Christ. The connection to Christ here is crystal clear. And we see a manifestation of these traits of God demonstrated by Jesus. That's that's how we know that Jesus is the true God. He does God stuff. He does the things that only God can do, like control creation, or in these cases, set the prisoners free, open the eyes of the blind, lift up people who are discouraged, watch over strangers, uphold the widow and the fatherless, etc. So I think that each of these things um, can be unpacked a little. You're absolutely right that the the end of the game is that Jesus comes and fulfills those on earth, not completely, of course. He, he demonstrates those so that we know that we can trust in him to bring all of that to completion on the last day. And so how do we look at that now? How would it, in your thoughts, as you've studied this, you look at that and say, okay, well, I haven't seen the Lord set the prisoners free. I haven't seen the Lord open the eyes of the blind. I've read about it a little bit. Um, uh, you know, the fatherless, are they taking care of the widows? I don't know. How was the Lord doing that today? Or for those days, well, how is the Lord doing that now? How are we to interpret that as we look at all of Scripture and also our lives today? Well, setting prisoners free, again, are we looking at those things from a very narrow or a wide point of view? Is it just releasing people from prison or is it freeing people from bondage? How has Christ set us free from bondage and in what way? Well, the greatest way is our bondage to sin. Because of Christ's salvation, we have to we no longer have to fear the consequences of sin, which is eternal death, but at the same time through his Holy Spirit, we also are gifted with the ability to overcome sins even in this life even if it's temporary, even if we fall back into it, you know, he equips us to live that Christian life. Opening the eyes of the blind is also not always narrow. Sure, Jesus healed someone that was completely blind, but what about spiritual blindness? It's only through Christ and, of course, God's work that, that we are able to have our spiritual blindness fall away like scales from our eyes so that we can see the truth that comes to us in God's word, so that we can, we can trust in Christ um, because of the faith that God has given us. And that goes on to those who are bowed down, you know, the literal words here, bent over, head hung low, you know, people who are discouraged. God's there for the weak and the helpless. He's a ready and willing help. Jesus was an advocate for them, for sojourners or, or strangers in the land. You know, the people of Israel were strangers in the land of Egypt. So God called them time and again to remember sojourners in their midst and care for them. Well, he calls for us to do the same, but also we are but sojourners in this life. We're strangers in this world because our ultimate world, our ultimate home, is in the new heavens and the new earth with God. So when we find ourselves being strangers in this world, when the world doesn't match to our Christian ideals of how things should be, should we lose heart? Should we be discouraged? Or should we give up when we get discouraged, I should say? No. 
Our eyes have been opened. We see that we can trust in God through Jesus. And the same goes for the widow and the fatherless, right? You know, in ancient times, the widows and orphans, I mean, they had it rough, so they were of special interest. Well, this is another example, a literal example of people who were, you know, without without power, without the ability to fend for themselves. And we find ourselves in that position too. So the psalmist here, Holy Spirit, using these words to call us to rest and rely on God. So each of these examples gives us not only reasons to put our faith, hope, and trust in, in God, but it demonstrates why Yahweh is the God of the weak and the helpless. And then through the life and work of Jesus, we're connected. We see this Jesus isn't just a messenger of God, and he isn't just a son of man. He's the son of man, the son of God. He's God himself. And so this psalm is speaking you know, mainly to those who are needing this help to those who find themselves in these positions. But I also think that it has something to say to us. You know, when we're God's instruments of help in this world, how should we treat others? How should we defend the widow and the fatherless and the stranger and those who are discouraged and even the spiritually blind and those who are in bondage to their sin? It gives us um, an example of not only how we worship when we're feeling these ways, but also how we can be instruments of God, of Christ in this world to help alleviate the suffering of others. And as we see this connection, you can't help but, first of all, see it in yourself. You know, as you said, you really broke this down to realizing our own blindness, our own prison, uh, that we're prisoners to sin at the very least, if not other ways, um, that we are bowed down and 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 uh, sojourners in this life. You can't help but not think of, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home type of language in the hymn, the wonderful hymn. And you see this, uh, the widow and fatherless at the same time. You look at other people and you realize the mercy that we are to give because as the Lord has served me, therefore I go and serve my neighbor. And so it, it, it's, very, it's a very convicting, uh, not convicting is the right word, but probably convicting where you're like, I need to praise the Lord more. Why? Because he's done all this for me. And then you realize in the midst of that, as God is merciful upon me, I should be merciful to others. So this is actually a call in the same way for us to be able to serve and, and love others. Any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I mean, Lutherans should absolutely love this psalm because, you know, through the law, the Holy Spirit, you know, can convict us of our own failures to do these things in the name of Christ. And then in the midst of our despair over our sins, the psalm itself, through the exact same words, then calls us to put our faith, hope, and trust in God who gives us our faith and keeps it strong and uh, doesn't let us fall by the wayside. And so it's chock full of law and gospel. Good preaching sermon. Let's keep, let's keep going in verse 10 where we hear it even more. Verse 10. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So, Pastor, we have about two minutes left as we go through this. So tell us about this verse, and then let's really go back and go through the whole psalm and, and give us a rundown. So first, verse 10. What is it telling us at the very end? Right. So the Lord will reign forever. In contrast to those earthly rulers or influencers or the elite, whatever you want to call them, you know, verse 4 reminds us that Mere men, mere people will not live forever. But Yahweh, not only does he reign forever, um, but he lives forever. He's always there. There's stability with him. There's faithfulness, hope, steadfast love. 
And um, I think that's where we're ending with this, right? And, and there's another personalization of God, too. You know, the Lord, Yahweh will reign forever. Who's Yahweh? Your God, O Zion. You know, Zion's God, right? Take out that nation of Zion, put your nations in there. Is your nation's God the God of Jacob? Is the, is the United States God the God of Jacob, the true God? You know, and well— Probably not, but should it be? Should it? Should it be? Of course, of course, because even everyone in our government, everyone um, who uh, who serves and works in this country, is a, is an agent of God to help others, whether they admit it or not. And so there's this personalization of God. You know, God's not just out in the ether, but rather He is our personal God. And and it's not just to us personally, but to all generations. So across time and space, as I like to say, and then it ends with that great call, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah it is. Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota, leading us in prayer and praise from Psalm 146. Pastor Boo, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. I always appreciate it. Saints of our Lord, alleluia, praise the Lord. And with our Lord, he reigns forever. In him, there is stability, faithfulness, and hope. He not only is our help, but he has a call for us to help others. Our, he's our justice, our provider, our healer, and our upholder. And may we do the same to others as our Lord has already done for us. And we always end with praise the Lord. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Mm -hmm.